Thank you all. I just want to echo Matt's thanks because um, I guess we were probably not the best at picking timing. We, we picked sort of a doozy of a week um, to get back into uh, these virtual uh, press conference updates for you all. So we really do appreciate you taking time during what's got to be a crazy week for you as journalists. But um, uh, wanted to provide an update. It's been a few months actually since we've done these and uh, given the activity level of COVID in the communities has been creeping back up. Uh, we thought it's probably timely to, to give you all an update and provide our communities with an update. Um, we're a little bit, uh, you know, getting back into the swing of how we do things and, and I think you'll notice the same pattern. You know, I'll start with some data, what we're seeing and then turn it over to the questions um, and we can go from there. Um, as I mentioned, over the last couple months, really, since um, September, since the beginning of September, we have seen a steady up climb of case volume across our communities. It's obviously very concerning uh, because as we're hearing a lot nationally, you know, we've been laser focused on what's going on locally in our communities because obviously that's more relevant to what we do and to what you all do and where we all live as neighbors and friends. Um, COVID is in our communities and it's spreading. Uh, we are seeing that. And um, I'll share with you some, some data and some statistics here in a second. But obviously um, we're remaining you know, pretty concerned, but also super vigilant in terms of making sure that, that um, we're managing through that um, uptick and that hopefully we can stem the tides as we did early on back in the spring. Uh, but from what we can see right now, it does look like it's making a resurgence. I think the other is where we are in the season. Obviously, the holidays coming up, flu season, uh, which is here every year that's about to hit us, and the cold weather pushing more and more activities indoors. These are all things that um, do keep us up at night, if you will, because um, all of those things uh, make it tougher to maintain all of the precautions that we've been uh, mentioning to you all from the get-go, uh, things like distancing efforts and, of course, uh, masking and so forth, but uh, avoiding big gatherings. You know, I, we know that's tough to do with the holidays coming up and with people being uh, pushed more indoors because of the weather. Um, we got to be careful on those things, and that's a good reason why we thought this is a timely um, uh, timing, I should say, to get back into these updates for you. So. Um, let me start with some numbers as we used to do before. <clears throat> uh, for July and August, if you combine those two months, so uh, think of those as the summer months where we really saw the cases kind of drop across our um, system, we had a combined 2,100 positive tests um, and probably more importantly, the positive testing rate um, was averaging around 3.4% and even in some of those weeks. Um, the reason why we pay attention to that number is because um, depending on who's got the right symptoms or the criteria, uh, you may or may not test more people, but that positive testing rate um, with the same consistent criteria gives you a sense of how active the virus is in the communities. And of course, uh, the number of people in our hospitals, um, that's even a more consistent indicator. And we've seen over the last couple months we are now up above 80s, 90s, as far as number of patients that are hospitalized across our system um, on all of our hospital campuses. Again, compared against the summer where we were seeing 10, 20, sometimes 30, now we're seeing 80, 90 um, 
as far as patients in the hospital with COVID. So you could see a definite uptick in activity. And of course, if folks are in the hospital, that means they're sick enough to land there. Um, and that's something we continue to see um, as much as many folks um, may have the virus, but not see significant symptoms. At the same time, we see many other folks who have the virus and get very, very ill. The other thing I wanna debunk some myths um, because uh, I think some of these may surprise us, but as far as the number of nursing home patients that are these hospital patients uh, that I'm talking about, I think there's a belief out there that most of these patients are nursing home patients. In fact, only 15 to 20% of our hospitalized patients have been nursing home patients. So it really gives you the idea and the sense that this virus is in the communities. It's not just the nursing homes, although that is a driver. It's also out in the communities and we're passing it um, obviously to our friends, our neighbors, our loved ones. That's why we all need to be careful. Um, the other thing to note is um, the age group uh, since September uh, 1st, who has had the most positive testing uh, has been the 20 to 29 age group and the 50 to 59 age group. So again, it kind of debunks the myth that all of these folks are old um, or that they're seniors sort of in their 80s. Um, that's not what we're seeing. Um, now, folks who are older have a higher risk of getting seriously ill and landing in the hospitals. All of that is true. But at the same time, we see significant numbers of younger populations that are landing in our hospitals. And I believe 41% of the folks that we see in our hospitals as inpatients, so sick enough to get admitted, 41% of those are under the age of 65 and half of those, believe it or not, are under the age of 55. So again, plenty of folks who are young um, in, the, in the prime of life getting afflicted with sickness as a result of the, of the virus as well. Um, we are also seeing uh, still that some folks do get severely ill. We've described to you what ECMO is before. ECMO is essentially having your lung and heart functions outside your body through a machine. That means you're really, really ill. Um, we're lucky and fortunate that we have that capability here. Um, most places do not, but um, that sick, that level of sick patient, We've even had two more of those patients just this week alone. So it just gives you an idea. And I think that's really the spirit in which we share all this data is not to overwhelm you with the data, but simply to share uh, what we're seeing and why we remain concerned and why we should all remain diligent in our efforts as we try to ward off the virus. Um, also, we're seeing uh, even when people, the young folks in particular who may not get as ill, or may not be as sick, although some of them do get sick. But uh, even when you don't get sick, the danger of course, is that you can convey the virus and spread it to others. And, and that contributes to the community spread, if you will, and that contributes to the virus lingering longer. And so these are all the reasons uh, why we remain concerned. So what are we doing? Uh, let me shift gears a little bit. As we did back in the spring, we reinstituted limitations on our visitation policy. Um, and so there are exceptions like pediatrics and others, but uh, we've in reinstated those limitations because we know that 
Uh, when you have more foot traffic, there's more risk of spread. And as we see activity levels go up in our communities, uh, we think that's the appropriate response from a prevention and safety standpoint. These are the same tools and tactics that we use throughout the pandemic to keep all of our facilities safe. It's worked pretty well for us. In fact, we'd say it's worked very well. Um, and that's why we need to keep at our efforts along these lines. We're also obviously not deviating from the screening at every doorway um, and every entry point, but also uh, masking requirements at all of our facilities, obviously very aggressively pushing hand hygiene. Um, and you'll see a lot of folks with hand um, sanitizers, um, encouraging people to wash their hands uh, frequently. All of those things are part of our effort. I think the other thing that I would comment on is that um, since we've been at this for the better part of seven or eight months now, um, we've uh, learned a few things and I think we've gotten pretty good from a data capability standpoint. It's one of the things we're proud of or we're very proud of at Geisinger is that our data capabilities and analytics allow us to get predictive. And so we're able to take a bunch of inputs around uh, data of things that we're seeing, whether it's the number of positive tests, the positive testing rate, the ages of those folks, uh, what other comorbidities or chronic conditions do they have. Um, we put all those things together and we have a pretty good picture of what the hospital needs will be for the next week or two weeks to come. And so we're able to get ahead of some of these trends even before they absolutely hit us. And, and based on what we see, then our leaders and teams are able to modulate and, and turn some things down or turn some things up. And that's been a, a big part of our success formula. Um, and we're gonna continue to do that, continue to adapt and modify. And we're super fortunate. And I thank my lucky stars every day because we have a, a team that's just fantastic of hardworking folks throughout all of our uh, clinics and hospitals. And I can't tell you enough as I get out there and round and talk with some of these teams, uh, just a lot of people doing tremendous work, keeping all of our facilities safe, uh, helping us keep our community safer, getting that message out there. So big shout out to those teams. So um, in closing, before we get to the questions, I think uh, I'll take a moment as we've always done to reiterate and reinforce the importance of those precautions. So avoiding large gatherings. I think that we can't say that enough. Uh, it is out there in the community. Um, and that means that you could anybody can get it. And so we have to take these actions to try to minimize the risk of getting the virus. And so minimizing the large gatherings, maintaining the masking, maintaining every effort to socially distance. Um, be very mindful about your hand hygiene and wash your hands as frequently as possible using hand sanitizer. All of those same things still hold true. And um, again, reiterate that our teams are working hard, uh, super grateful and thankful to them. Big shout out. But at the same time, wanted to convey that to all of you um, because it's not just our teams, but all of the things that everybody in our community is doing. Uh, that's going to help us get through the virus. And so we really hope that you'll join us in that effort with all the things that I'm talking about today. So let me pull up there and see if we have any um, comments or questions that we, I think some of them have been pre-submitted, correct? They have. Thank you, Dr. Roof. The first question is from WKOK Radio. What's your take on causes to the big uptick in cases? How alarming is this? And should political leaders take any action? 
So I think the causes, I mean, we've said this all along, when people congregate in, in places, um, they there's a higher risk of passing the virus uh, amongst each other. And so, especially if you're in environments where you're closer together, where you're masked, I think those are particularly high risk. Indoors is higher risk than outdoors. Um, I think part of the, the dynamics here is, as we know, the weather has started to change. More activities are, are moving indoors. Um, the daylight hours, I think the, the changing of the clocks and, and the days getting shorter also contributes to less and less things happening outdoors. And all of those things in the aggregate contribute to potential higher rates of spread. And we've also said that once it's in the community, that rate of spread will happen. Uh, it's just a matter of how you can damp that down and minimize the risk of that by taking all of the actions that I'm describing. Um, and so I think it's really multifactorial. It's all of those items feeding together. And uh, that's why we have to be super vigilant as we head into this new chapter, as we head into you know, this next season, whether it's flu, winter, all of those things, holidays coming together, um, we have to make sure that we don't let off the gas as far as all of the preca precaution efforts that have served us well, frankly, um, since the spring. From the press enterprise, what's the most important statistic for people to watch to understand if their area is undergoing the coronavirus wave? Yeah, so I think um, what we've said is that there are several indicators to watch. I don't think there's a single one uh, that ends up being the best one to watch, but I named some of them earlier. We keep an eye on not just how many people are testing positive, but what is the rate at which they test positive, meaning for every 100 people, what percentage actually test positive? Because when you have a consistent criteria or um, a set of requirements or, or how you determine who you're testing, if that percentage is going up, that means the, um, the virus is more prevalent or more existing in your community. I think the other thing we pay attention to is obviously the number of patients who have COVID who are in our hospitals, hospitalized with uh, a manifestation of COVID. And, and that's a good illustration as well because um, the hospital admission criteria stays constant. And so if we're seeing more people getting admitted to the hospital with COVID, that means there are truly more people that are sick with the virus um, because they met that sickness criteria to merit a hospital admission. And so I, I would probably pull those three out as the ones in particular, but there are others, um, you know, whether you're seeing activity um, in one area or in some of the nursing homes, we know that every time we've seen outbreaks like that, it's inevitable. Um, and it, it sort of signals that there's going to be outbreaks larger in the community. And so I think there are a lot of leading indicators that we pay close attention to. It's also why uh, we're able to get predictive and, and know what's coming down the pike, you know, for the week or two following some of those indicators. From the Shemokin news item and also the press enterprise, both had questions on vaccines. You've been vocal about the possibility of a vaccine by early 21. Some reports indicate a solution sooner, other reports issues overseas and elsewhere. Has this changed your views or timeline on a potential vaccine for containing the pandemic and is Geisinger involved in any trials? So um, as we've said before, I think the, the timing of a vaccine, I, I feel like there are enough efforts out there that we will see a vaccine. And I, I do believe, and maybe this is being optimistic, but I believe it will be effective. Um, now, Part of the timing question is when will a vaccine become available? But then the other side of it is when will 
the majority of people have access to it. You know, the distribution of the vaccine is not very straightforward. I was on a series of calls yesterday just with some other colleagues across the country and from a, the pharmaceutical industry. And one of the vaccines requires storage at negative 90 degrees. Um, another requires storage at negative 10 degrees or something like that. So pretty powerful refrigerated uh, requirements on some of these vaccines. So we got to figure out as an industry and as a country, you know, how to make sure we're getting these vaccines effectively to all the people out there. And so I think even after a vaccine becomes available, which, you know, we pay attention to, and I do think we'll have one, you know, before the new year or right around the new year. But then the question is, well, how quickly can you get that vaccine distributed to all the people that are out there? And I think that will take, you know, months after that to get that cascaded throughout. Um, so I think we'll be doing the vaccine, um, vaccine to market kind of distribution, if you will, throughout the course of most of next year. Um, so I think that's reassuring, but also we're still not there yet. Um, and then I think the other question was, oh, were we involved in any vaccine development trials? We have not been involved in any of the vaccine clinical trials. We are involved in many of the other clinical trials around treatments. Uh, we've mentioned this before. There's a class of medication called IL-6 inhibitors. We were part of, we were one of the uh, early systems that participated in that trial. We've also been a part of the convalescent serum or plasma trial. We've been a part of that. I believe one of the monoclonal antibodies, another class of treatment, were a part of that study. Um, and I believe there are three or four more that were partnering with the NIH, the National Institute on Health, uh, to participate in clinical trials um, around potential therapies as well. And follow up on the rise in cases from WKOK. Why not as many deaths or hospitalizations, even though the, the numbers have gone up? So I think this is a, a piece of good news as well. You know, we've been at this, like I said, um, not just Geisinger, but as an industry for the last seven months. And I think we have learned some things. We have a few more arrows in the quiver, if you will, as far as um, ways to treat the, the virus and ways to treat folks um, who have serious illness. And so I do think that those treatments have gotten better. Now, that being said, we still see folks that that unfortunately do pass away from the virus and are very, very ill. Um, but because some of those therapies are now coming online and because we have a better insight into which ones are truly effective, not just lucky, but truly good, um, I think we do better as far as uh, managing the mortality rates. Um, I think there's also a recognition uh, that's out there in the communities and um, among all uh, healthcare professionals um, that they're in tune with how the virus can present and so forth. I think that recognition also helps. Um, and then I think um, there are a variety of efforts, whether it's the testing and the capacity that's um, you know, been uh, growing as far as testing capabilities go. Um, I think all of those things contribute to um, you know, much improved mortality rates. But I just wanna reinforce though that um, that's not a completely rosy picture because we have seen that the virus is a very humbling virus and people do pass away from it and people do get very, very sick. So I think um, it, the treatments aren't foolproof. They're not um, fail safe, if you will. They don't work on everybody and each treatment kind of works on a specific timing or a specific uh, type of patient. And so we leave the experts to figure those things out. Um, but we do have more of them at our disposal.
several outlets, the Scranton Times, the Daily Item, and WKOK reached out asking about supplies. Is Geisinger still in good shape with beds, ICU beds, ventilators, PPE? So we're in good shape, I think is the short answer. Um, we have, I can't tell you how many people and how many teams, um, super proud of our teams because we monitor this literally hourly. And, and in, in the case of some folks, it's, it's by the minute. Um, and we pay attention to an awful lot of data, an awful lot of inputs. I mentioned to you earlier, one of the things we are proud of here is that we have some pretty, pretty sophisticated data capabilities and analytic capabilities. It allows us to get predictive um, so that we know what's hitting us in the next week or two. And based on those, we're able to either dial up or down the dials and, and accommodate that. And so um, I think that's been a big part of our formula. The other is being a multi, um, multi-site or multi-campus system has allowed us to um, move capacity or move patients between campuses uh, to make sure that we have the capacity that we need to take care of all the communities that we serve. Um, but that being said, even though we feel pretty good about um, you know, having enough, so to speak, again, I can't tell you enough, this virus is a very humbling virus. And so we've seen that uh, you have to be very adaptable. You have to be very fluid um, because things can shift very, very quickly. And so that's why we pay attention uh, to all those indicators that I mentioned. And it's also why we continue to reinforce with all of our teams and with our communities. We have to be good stewards of the resources as well, um, making sure that we're using the right equipment, the right protective gear for the right situation. I think as long as we keep our eyes uh, on those things, um, we'll be able to manage through on the capacity issues. For the daily item in WKOK, is there any idea if we could be turning a corner? Is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel with COVID or do we feel it's here to stay? I think there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Um, I mean, we talked about the vaccine earlier. That certainly is a light at the end of the tunnel as more and more people, once the vaccine becomes available, as a greater proportion of the population becomes vaccinated, um, we know that that will continue to minimize the spread of the virus. So I think that's a good light at the end of the tunnel. I don't know if we've turned a corner. I think it may, might be a little premature to say that because all of the indicators we're seeing right now, it's actually climbing. You know, one of the statistics I heard the other day was um, we are seeing every two hours, somebody gets admitted into the hospital with COVID uh, over the last week or two. So that's a good uh, illustration of how uh, folks are sick enough to get admitted into the hospital with the virus. That means that virus activity is climbing. And so um, I, I don't ever feel good saying you turn a corner as the virus is climbing. I think what we'd love to see is what we saw as we headed into the summer months where it was actually going the other way and the trends were going down. I think that felt like a much better spot to be in, but that's what we're all shooting for right now. You know, you wanna flatten and then uh, move the trend in the other direction. So um, I think with all these precautionary efforts, um, and that's in fact why we're taking all these precautionary efforts and reinforcing with everybody, all our partners in the communities, I think, I think that'll be a big part of the effort. From WNEP, with PA having reached its highest number of cases yesterday in the fall, is it expected to rise even more as we approach the winter and why? Um, look, I, you know, my crystal ball, I'm not sure it's any better than anybody else's crystal ball. Um, but 
I think if you look at what's hitting us soon, you know, we have the holidays coming up, colder weather will be upon us, hopefully, you know, not soon, but I think it's coming. Um, and then um, uh, the flu season that's about to hit us as well. I think we're looking at a, a season that's going to get tougher probably before it gets better. And that's why it's even more important, as we've been um, underscoring the whole time, those precautionary efforts, uh, the preventive measures out in the community, avoiding the large gatherings. Uh, we can't let up off of those efforts. I think um, that's what's going to pull us through until we have that meaningful virus, uh, vaccine uh, available and then distributed. For the Daily Item and the Press Enterprise, how are the cases we're seeing today different than what we saw in March? I'm not sure that they are different. As, as we referenced earlier, we do have more uh, arrows in the quiver. I'll use that analogy again as far as how to treat it. So I think that's true. As far as people that are testing positive, we've seen a shift. There are more younger folks who are testing positive. Um, and, and I think that in some ways might make sense given um, activity levels and who's out and about and so forth. Um, and again, a reminder, folks who are younger, they may not have as high of a risk of getting seriously ill, although some of them will, um, but they could easily spread it throughout the community and propagate the virus, uh, keep it going throughout the community. And that's, of course, the larger concern. So I'm not sure that the virus itself has fundamentally changed. Um, how we treat it has shifted and evolved for the better. That's good. Um, who it's infecting as far as the 20 to 29, the 50 to 59 being the two largest age bands that we see, I think that may have shifted a little bit. Um, but we're seeing the, the positive testing rate back on the rise. And so that does sort of feel an awful lot like where we were back in May or even April. Um, and that gives us cause for concern. From the press enterprise, with school back in session, have you seen any evidence of greater spread among young people? Are school districts with full-time in-person schools seeing greater infection rates? I think um, with the schools and with the younger folks, I think, um, you know, a few comments there. Um, I know that the schools are doing everything they possibly can, and it's it's been disruptive for all of us, uh, whether you're at a school district, whether you're uh, at a restaurant or a small business or a coffee shop or a hospital, I, it has been a disruptor for all of us. And so I think everybody's working their darndest to try to um, introduce safe environments. And, and my hat goes off to all the school districts out there for doing that as well. Um, I don't know if we can attribute it to schools or what have you. As I mentioned earlier at the outset, it's a multifactorial dynamic where many factors contribute together to the fact that what we do see is an uptick in activity in the virus that is climbing. I don't think that's news to anybody. Um, but I think one of the things we wanted to convey to everybody here is, you know, some of the uh, misbeliefs that might be out there. Young people can get sick. Again, 41% of those who are sick enough to land in our hospitals are younger than 65. Half of those are younger than 55. Um, that demonstrates that it's not just the frail and elderly. Only 15%, 15 to 20% uh, of those that are hospitalized are from the nursing homes. That also demonstrates it's not just the nursing homes. And, and young people, it's, it's absolutely correct. They have 
uh, lower chances uh, and lower mortality rates, lower chances of becoming seriously ill, although again, some do, but they can spread to other people and keep the virus going in our community. And I think that's the larger concern. So um, we all need to do our part, whether you're old or young or um, even children. I think um, everybody can do their part, avoiding the large gatherings, um, masking, uh, hand hygiene. It is those same things that's going to keep us all safe.